Hey, good morning, everybody. You guys doing all right? Some of you. You know, uh, if you've been around church for a while, you know this is Palm Sunday. Uh, and if you've not been around church for a while, you probably wonder, well, what is Palm Sunday? And this is the Sunday that starts Passion Week for us. It is the week that it starts with Jesus coming into Jerusalem on a donkey. Y'all know the story? Some of y'all, y'all awake this morning? Okay. And so Jesus is on a donkey. He's coming in and people are like, you know, raising palm branches and shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. And this is the, uh, the week that begins our travel to the cross and then eventually to the resurrection. And Jesus is coming into town. It's part of a, a coronation, but it's not a coronation where Jesus is coming into Jerusalem to ascend a throne. It's actually Jesus coming in as the new high king of heaven, not to take a throne, but actually to uh, take up the cross. And here's what's great about this week is that everything we're doing between now and next Sunday is leading up to the resurrection. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ, of course, is his declaration that he is king even over death, that death has no claim, and that our resurrection is assured because of the resurrection of Christ. But it also means that now he brings resurrection power into the life of the church and into your life. Meaning that Jesus loves by his resurrection power to take dead things and make them alive. Take broken things and heal them. Do the impossible through resurrection power. And we absolutely hate that. We do. I mean, think about... Think about it. Because... When you think about the world that we live in, the world that we live in doesn't have a lot of interest in change or things made new. I mean, just look at our lives. I mean, there are people in this world that have jobs that they hate. And here's what's crazy, they keep those jobs and some people keep them for the rest of their lives and they die in a job that they hate. Or some people are in marriages that are miserable, like miserable marriages. And they stay in those miserable marriages and they keep misery in their marriage. They work hard at it. And they stay in that miserable marriage until they die. There are people who are bitter and they stay bitter their whole lives and they spew bitterness their whole lives and they go to their grave and their last, their last breath is a bitter breath. Why? There are people that are resentful do you, know, do you know what the stats are for addiction? Like there are addicts in this room and I think the stats for the church are that you're all addicts. <clears throat> Every one of you, all right? And here's what's crazy about our addictions, that we have addictions and there are people that stay addicts and remain in their addiction for the rest of their lives. Why? When we have access to resurrection power, I think it's because change is hard. I think it's scary. I think when you change, you actually have to acknowledge your need for change, which is incredibly vulnerable. It's like being naked, that I need change. And because it's so hard, scripture even says it's impossible. It's impossible for you. But this Jesus that we're about to talk about, what's impossible for you is possible for him. 
So we're going to study this triumphal entry because this week we are coming into a conversation about resurrection power. So you ready? No. <laughs> Sorry, man, you're all alone in this. So we're going to go to John chapter 12. But before we read the passage, Caroline is going to come and read for us. Come on up, Caroline. Y'all know Caroline? Wow, that was kind of weak, Caroline. They must not know you. Do you know Caroline? Oh, I thought so. All right. Well, Caroline's going to read. She's going to start in verse 19 or 20? In 12. Okay. All right. 12 through 19. I knew I had the right passage. Okay. But before she reads, let me tell you what happens before this triumphal entry where Jesus is coming in as part of his coronation that's leading to the cross is that when we have this scene where Jesus is gathered at a guy's house and this guy's named Lazarus and Jesus had done something big in this guy's life. It was like resurrection 1.0, you know, because he raised Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus went back to the grave, by the way. And so Lazarus is partying it up because he's alive. And all his friends are gathered and crowds have gathered. And there's a lot going on, like Mary, Lazarus' sister. You know, she had poured nard all over Jesus' feet. You know what that is, nard? You got some nard? Okay. And so the room is just filled with perfume and stuff. And then you've got, you know, Judas over in the corner going, I can't believe he did that. You know, we could have given that to the poor, which translates me, that could have gone into my pocket, you know, so he was corrupt. So all these dynamics are going on. And listen to what it says in verse nine. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because, not only because of him, but also because of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priest, listen to the chief priest, the chief priest made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were coming over to Jesus and believing him. So I just want you to just get your head around. We war against resurrection so much that it makes us crazy. I mean, like crazy. Like, look at these people. Here's the thinking. Jesus raised him from the dead, so we better kill him. Does that sound crazy to you? Here's what's crazy. They didn't think it was crazy. In fact, your crazy doesn't seem like crazy to you. Does that scare you? <laughs> you are crazy. You just don't know where you're crazy. And this resurrection power, we war against it because we're crazy. We're going to talk about that. All right? You with me? Here we go. Verse 12. John 12. 12 through 19. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that the things had been written about him and that the things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. So, Lord, we uh, pray that uh, 
you would do what we can't do. Um, only your spirit can breathe on your word and open our eyes to see. We pray you would do that. Um, we pray that you would do what we can't do. Um, and that is to summon uh, supernatural courage uh, to take what you reveal to us and follow where you go. Um, but I thank you that, Lord, you are not short on that and you are eager um, to come and meet us where we are. In Christ's name, amen. So what's going on here is that Jesus is basically declaring that he's king, that he is king of high heaven, he's king of all the earth, and he's displaying his royal kingship. And, you know, you may think that, look how humble Jesus is, he's on a donkey, but really what Jesus is doing, if you go back and you read the coronation of Solomon, the son of David, um, he rode in on a donkey. This was a declaration of kingship. When, when Jesus was riding in on this donkey, he was saying, I come to you as the line of David. And in the line of David, in the same way that David was high king over Israel, I too am king over Israel. And nobody missed it. So when they were waving the palm branches, this was a sign of national pride. They were, they were, they were waving the Israeli flag and, and welcoming here. And when they're saying, Hosanna, there's, that, that means save us. And not just save us, it means save us now. And if you go to other gospels and you read about this story, you'll even see that they were throwing what they call their cloaks out in front and Jesus was riding over them. These were actually the talents, which were the prayer shawls that Jewish men would wear as they go to the temple to pray. And in the collar of this prayer shawl, they had Hebrew letters that spelt Lord of Lord and King of Kings. And it was a symbolic reminder of the promised Messiah that God was sending one to rescue them. And that God's promised Messiah was Lord of Lord and King of Kings. So nobody missed what was going on, that Jesus was descending. He was the great promise keeper. He was the one sent by heaven to be the Messiah that was sent to rescue God's people. And they were all excited about him coming and overthrowing the Romans and taking the throne. And yet Jesus wasn't doing that. He was coming to pick up a cross. And we have to look at the people that were there because it's going to help us think about ourselves as we kind of walk into this upcoming week. There were two groups of people. There was one group of people that wanted Jesus to change absolutely nothing. And there was another group of people that wanted Jesus to change everything. So let's talk about them, okay? The first group of people that had zero interest in Jesus changing everything were the Pharisees. The Pharisees, they had life just the way they wanted. They had negotiated this power deal with the Romans to where them and the Romans shared power and the Pharisees kind of knew their place and they were gaining benefit from that. And they wanted Jesus to stop. They were the ones that actually wanted to put Lazarus back in the grave. They wanted this whole crazy nonsense to be over for the big crowd that's cheering to shut up and go home. And I want to tell you, I can relate to these guys. Like, I, I'm just going to tell you that that is such an easy group of people to relate to because I spend my whole life trying to get my life where I want it. Like, think about it. I work hard so that I can have a house, and I want my house to be the way I want my house, and then I want my car, and I want the car to be the way I want my car. I, I, am work, I see my life progressing more and more toward the things that I want them to be. And as I get closer and closer to them, the last thing I want is for anybody to mess with them, especially Jesus. 
I mean, seriously. We spend a lot of our life trying to build the life that we want. In fact, we start to believe, we actually start to believe that the best life, you know that time in your life, if, you're, if you've been following Christ for a long time, you remember that time in your life where you were so desperate that you cried out to Jesus and you were like, Jesus, if you don't show up, I'm not making it through this. And you look at that place of absolute, utter dependency upon the work of God in your life, that place right there, we spend our whole lives trying to get as far away from that as we can possibly get. Like when we start to believe that spiritual maturity is becoming less and less dependent upon God in a desperate kind of way, and more and more kind of okay with Jesus. In fact, we get so that we start to think that church is not a place where we actually experience transformation. It's just a place that we go to. I come here on Sunday morning, we kind of hope the music's good, hope Kevin's on his game, you know, I like it when they play that upbeat music, that's great. I hope Randy's funny, I hope he's doing stuff that we didn't expect. (laughs) So we can kind of endure, you know, that 30 minutes that he's up there. And then when I leave, Jesus, you stay there. Don't be stalking me when I go home. Just give me a few things to make my life just a little bit better. And here's what's crazy. It's not just the good things I don't want him to touch. It's also the bad things I don't want him to touch. I'm not kidding. You know, I may have a really broken way to view money. And I may, I'm going to confess to you that my way of viewing money is not exactly the way the Bible views money. Okay? But I'm okay with that. In fact, Jesus, I really don't want you to mess with it. I know it's broke, but it's my broke. And I'm kind of comfortable with my broke. I'm the same way with conflict. Like, think some of you, like conflict, just me saying the word makes you break out in hives. You avoid conflict like, like it's the plague. Like you don't even want to go near it. And you know, that's probably not the way Jesus wants me to deal with conflict. But right now you're like, I'm kind of okay with Jesus not messing with that. Some of you, like, you have this scorched earth mentality when it comes to conflict. Like, when you get into conflict, you're like, oh, yes, like, finally. And you just burn everything around you, and you've got this circle around you that everybody knows around you. They don't go near you. And you kind of got your own domain, and you know that's probably not biblical or what. That's not surrendering to Jesus, you know. But you're okay with that. Jesus, you stay in your house, and I'll stay in my house. Man, we can do that with sex. We can do that with expectations. We can do that with work. We can do that with play. We can do that with affections. We can do that with free time. We can basically say to Jesus, don't mess. And we are really comfortable with Easter being about a bunny. But the reality of someone that was dead coming to life and now knocking on my door saying, hey, I'm here, let's talk. That's a little unnerving. Give me religion, don't give me Jesus. And so we war against resurrection because the church is about resurrection power. And we war against it because we're afraid of change. We're ashamed of needing change. And scripture even says, then we become spiritually blind. In 2 Corinthians chapter four, it says, the God of this age, there is a God of this age And he is working. And you know what he's working at? To blind the minds 
of each other. That we cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 3, it says, you should encourage one another daily. Now, do you know how often daily is? It's daily. (laughs) Why? So that you don't get deceived by sin. So think about it. Just let me ask you, like, think about the top three places that you're deceived right now. Just spend some time thinking about it. Where are you deceived? Well, you don't know. That's the nature of deception. If you know where you're deceived, you're not deceived. But if you don't know where you're deceived, then you're deceived. And when I come to Jesus and I go, you stay up there in the stained glass. And just give me a few tips on how to live. We're all good. But a resurrected Jesus that's getting in the car with me when I'm going home, that's unnerving because he might start meddling with everything. That was one group. The second group was the group that wanted Jesus to change everything. I can relate to that group. I want Jesus to change everything. Are you kidding me? They were looking at Jesus and they were like, throw the Romans out. Be our king. You know that bread trick you did when you were doing the Sermon on the Mount and you fed us a bunch of bread and fish? Do that. We don't have to work anymore. We don't have to plow anymore. We don't have to fish anymore. Like you're the best king ever. Change it all. Take all our suffering and make it go away. Hosanna, save us now. From what? From this. It's so easy for us to be in this group because there's a lot that I want Jesus to change. I mean, like you think about the war in Ukraine. Come on, Jesus, where are you? Seriously. What about Corona? You seem to be kind of MIA on that one. What about global warming? I could give you poverty stats right now that would terrify you. Hunger stats, drought stats. Jesus, where are you? When I look at the world, I can easily say, either God, you don't have the power to change any of these things, which means you're not really God, or you don't really care. And if you don't care, you're not a God worth serving. I could look at circumstances and say, God, I want you to change it all. And if you're not changing it all, you're not worthy of me coming and serving you. And it gets worse because I can kind of keep Ukraine at a distance. But what about your life? When you get sick and God doesn't seem very interested in making you better. What if you're in a marriage and that marriage is just hard and God doesn't seem to be wanting to change it? What if you're lonely? Have you ever been lonely? That's where we all laugh because we've all been lonely. It's an emotion that we're all acquainted with. But I'm not talking about loneliness like, you know, yesterday afternoon it was so pretty outside and I called three or four of my friends and nobody had, you know, they couldn't go to the park. I think they were all hanging out and didn't want to tell me. That makes me feel lonely. No, I'm talking about the aching loneliness that you're going through life and it feels like, because it seems true, that nobody on this planet knows that you exist. And if they do know you exist, nobody's knocking on the door and pursuing you. That kind of deep loneliness. Where's God in that? Why don't you seem interested in changing that situation in my life? 
Or what about when we're hurting and we just want to stop hurting? We want them to change the things around us. We want them to change everything around us. So here's what I want to talk about. What if Jesus really isn't interested in changing your circumstances? What if he's just not interested in that? What if instead of being interested in changing your circumstances, he's interested in changing you and you being a changed you in your circumstances? Like in Romans chapter 5, this whole beginning of the chapter is talking about you got a lot. If you know Jesus, you got a lot to be thankful for. Like your life is glorious. Like you've been brought from death to life. You've been given the Holy Spirit. You have redemption. Like God is four, 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 four for you. And there's plenty that you should be rejoicing in. And then Paul says this. Yeah, that's true. But also you should rejoice in your suffering. What? Like, stop. Wait. What are you talking about? He goes, yeah, you should also, you should rejoice in your suffering. Why? Because your suffering is doing something. And what is it doing? Well, it's producing perseverance. And perseverance is actually producing character. And character is actually producing hope. And it says in here that hope never disappoints. And why does hope never disappoint? Because hope, remember we talked about that our eyes are blinded and we're deceived? You know what hope does? It opens our eyes. And what do we see? That God is pouring his love out into our hearts. See, what's crazy about that is when, when I begin to see that God is pouring his love out into my heart, it begins to change me. And it begins to change you. That's resurrection power. That God is at work in your life, not to get you out of your situation, but to change you in your situation so that you can bring the changed you into your situation. You may be praying, God, get me out of this job. And God says, I got you into that job. Now let me change you and you be a change in your job. God, get me out of this marriage. Are you kidding me? Do you know how much I had to do to get you in that marriage? But I don't want to be here anymore. I know, and that's what I'm going to change. Let me change you. Resurrection power so that you can bring a changed you into that place. Or your family system. Does anybody here have problems in your family system? We're just going to start on the front row and just... Everybody whose name starts with a letter in the alphabet, please stand and tell us your family problems, avoiding my daughter who's here, because she comes from a perfect family. (laughs) Don't laugh. Uh, But what if God isn't interested in changing your family system? What if God never changes your family system? Is it possible that you could go to your grave and your family system doesn't change? Is that a possibility? That's probably a probability. But what if God changed you and you were a changed you with resurrection power into your family system? What if God's plan isn't so much to change the circumstances around you and give you the life you think you want, but use resurrection power to change you so the changed you goes into life and finds power and purpose in every place you go? Do you know that in Ephesians chapter 1, It says in verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be open. Again, we're seeing blindness. Now we're seeing. Are y'all tracking with me? 
And this is what Paul is praying, that you'll come out of your deception and you'll come into seeing. And I'm about to challenge you guys. Listen to what he says. That you would be enlightened, that your eyes would be opened, that you would see the hope which he has called you, the riches that he has given you, and the power that is yours. And what is the power that he's given you that is yours? That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. And I'm telling you that if Jesus went to the cross, then he rose again so that I can rise to newness of life, and he says that resurrection power is now available to you. If we would just stop fighting it and begin to walk into it, your life will never be the same. I promise you. So there's a ministry um, that's here in town. It's, um, well, it's, its offices are here. It's African Leadership. Emily Blackledge is the president. Uh, maybe some of you know her. And it's amazing ministry because what they do is they provide training for pastors all across the continent of Africa. Um, Remarkable uh, to provide education and equipping of men and women that are going into the ministry and bringing renewal to their communities um, in places that that education is not available to them. And one of uh, their disciplers and one of their trainers of pastors is a guy named Cato. You may remember I talked about him, gee, six months ago, maybe a year ago. And I'm, I didn't have the, the end of the story, but I do now, so I want to tell you about it. So Cato was in southern Sudan, and Cato was falsely accused of stoning a woman to death in southern Sudan. He was arrested. And even the people that arrested him knew he's a pastor. We know his reputation. We know he didn't do this, but he's been charged with this, so we got to throw him into prison. Then the pandemic hit, and then civil war broke out, and it became impossible for African leadership and all his friends to get him out of prison. Cato spent three and a half years in prison, in a southern Sudan prison. Use your imagination. So Cato is in prison, and you can imagine what Cato's doing. God, get me out of prison. Of course he was. We were praying, God, get him out of prison. And you know what God was saying? Are you kidding me? Do you know the extremes I had to go to to get him in prison? And you want me to get him out? Watch what I'm going to do. I'm going to infuse resurrection power into Cato, and I'm not going to change his circumstances, but Cato, by my power, is going to change everything in that circumstance. So last year, we sent Tito, who is one of the national directors in Uganda, up to southern Sudan. He went to the prison to inquire on him, and when he walked up, the prison guard stopped him and said, you're here to see Cato, aren't you? He said, yes. And they said, would you please... Please, please not take him out of here. We know he's innocent, but don't get him released. Why? Because Cato has turned this from a prison into a house of praise. Cato was in prison. He was in prison. And that didn't change who Cato was. He was in prison. His circumstance didn't change, but it didn't change what God was doing in Cato. And Cato did not avoid the power of the resurrection, but allowed it to flow into him to where he brought that power where he was. So he just got out. <clears throat> yeah, it's exciting. 
And you know what Cato said to African leadership when he got out? We're gonna start a ministry to all the prisons across Africa. And guess what? <sighs> he probably will. And I wanna go with him. So as we go into this week, you know, what will it be like? Some of you are wondering, what the heck is this doing up here? <laughs> it's up here because it makes me very sad that so often we talk about something so powerful, but we never pull the trigger. That we can even come to church and we can talk about the power of the resurrection and walk out of here and go, that was a good talk. And what I'm asking you to do now, would you start this week by joining me and asking Jesus to come and have his way with you? That he would meet you where you're at by the power of his resurrection. That he would do war against those places in your life that says, don't change anything or change everything. And usher you into the sweet place of intimacy where the Lord says, I want to change you. And let him have his way there. You ready? Father, as we begin to worship again, Lord, I know that your Holy Spirit is working in this room. I know because it's the power of the resurrection. And there's power that you want to exert here in this room right now. You may not change circumstances, but you can change hearts and lives. And we pray, Father, that you would open our hands, our hearts, and our hunger for you to come in and do that work in us. And as we go through this week, Lord, that this would be a week of pausing and realizing that this is not a church that we go to. We are the church. It's just a building. But we are the ones that have the power of the resurrection dwelling within us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.